0: Welcome back to the Vacation Bible School Podcast. My name is Jason Kirk. Joined, you're not going to believe it, folks. We are joined today by a special guest. It's Emily Kirk. Hello. How are Hi. we? Hi.
1: Oh, fine, fine. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> uh, on this program, we are going back through the entire Holy Bible rediscovering things we've you know probably haven't thought about all that much since like you know high school youth group uh and finding every single bit of it is far more fascinating and weird and rabbit-holy than we were ever led to believe as church kids this is not a program that argues you have to believe all of it this is not a program that argues you can't believe any of it this is a program that takes you as you are anywhere in between or even beyond those spectrums if you find a way that'd be pretty impressive Uh, But we have made our way through the book of Genesis, almost all the book of Exodus. And guess what, folks? Here today, we are going to finish the book of Exodus.
1: Hooray!
0: After it's been almost a year and we finished two books, so...
1: (laughs) Well, not quite a year. I mean, we we have a few months.
0: Um, So, to catch you up on what has happened, Moses and them have defeated the Pharaoh, made their way across the Red Sea. They've developed new holidays and traditions and so forth. They received the Ten Commandments. There was a thing with a golden calf, and now God has presented them with what they are going to do instead of a golden calf. God wants a big traveling tent with special things that burn meat away way God likes, because as we recall, way back to the very beginning of Genesis, God likes smoked meats. <laughs> so do I, um, because I'm made in his image. Um, <laughs> You know, we we think about like, well, well, ancient world, if you don't exactly know what is at the top of the sky, what happens when you burn something? Smoke goes up, goes up. Where does it go? It disappears. Well, God must be taking it, right? It kind of makes sense. God likes smoke.
1: They didn't have a whole lot of options either, though. As far as what? As far as cooking meats go.
0: Right, right. They couldn't microwave it, you mean?
1: I mean, like, when there's fire, there's smoke. Yeah,
0: I tend to agree with that. Yeah,
1: so that was about the only cooking option that time.
0: There's going to be smoke, and it's going to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this is where it gets pretty complicated. Um, this is We're going to have fun on this episode. We're going to have fun, or we are going to turn this church bus around, and we will not be going to the lake to play on the ropes course. We are going to have fun today. But this part of the Bible is, I think, the sloggiest slog in in the entire book, yes, I'm aware of what begins the Book of Chronicles, and I will actually defend that once we get to it. By the way, uh, I'm aware of the entire Book of Leviticus. Leviticus is fascinating. Okay, we'll, we'll get there soon. The story of the tabernacle—it's kind of not a story; it's instructions repeated over and over. Emily, um, first question: <laughs> Tell tell the truth to these people. Did you did you read these chapters on the- No? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I,
1: on purpose. Sort that of. was
0: wise. <laughs> <laughs> Because we did get a uh, a, a a fast moving. Um, a version for children that we'll talk about in a little bit. I know all the
1: information that you do, and I didn't have to read all of it. So, <laughs> so, you,
0: so you're the wise one here.
1: Well, I will probably plan on reading it because, I mean, I have to say that I read the whole Bible throughout this. I mean, if we take 10 years to do this podcast and I still haven't read the whole Bible, there's a problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the chapter's in question here. It's the stuff uh, basically from the Ten Commandments onward, basically the entire latter half of Exodus, more or less. Um, Moses goes up. And receives these blueprints from God. Um, So uh, next question. When we were kids, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what did we learn about the tabernacle?
1: I don't remember a whole lot other than after it had already been established, pretty much. So I just remember there being colorful cloths and things like that. That was probably my main memory because those are what you see in pictures.
0: Yeah. I remember um, this is so I've <laughs> kind of poked gentle fun at the thing uh, a lot of Christians do where they go back into Old Testament stories, Hebrew Bible stories and they say, "Aha, there Jesus foreshadowing, which if you want to see that, that's totally fine. Um, the tabernacle was a big thing with that. It's got blood, it's got wood. Right. Um, And it even ties directly into the story of the crucifixion, because the tabernacle, which eventually becomes Solomon's temple um, and then eventually becomes a whole other temple. What happens to the veil that separates the holiest place from the rest of the world? When Jesus dies, it is torn in half. The symbolism is obvious. So the tabernacle for for me was always it's all we ever heard about it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hmm. So. Let's get into these blueprints. <laughs> so uh, a thing to remember about blueprints is God has handed them out before. He gave Noah like four verses on how to build the lifeboat that was going to save all of uh, animal kind. So much detail. <laughs> but now he will spend way, way, way more than that on a traveling tailgate. I think it's the best way to I mean,
1: it. to be fair, this was the thing that God was creating for... Mankind to worship him at this point when they built the ark, it was like, okay, you guys need to live to protect these animals, but whatever, everyone's dying. So they didn't really need to spend a whole lot of time on that. They just needed like a few people to survive. (laughs) So At
0: this point, God has established that he is stuck with these people. Right. <laughs> like at he the promised time of- <laughs> he's not
1: going to wipe them all out again.
0: <laughs> at the time of the Ark, there is a little lingering question. And the, the movie, the Russell Crowe movie that we watched, it sort of draws it out of the text where it's like God's like, all right, I'm going to keep the people too. Fine. And at this point in the story, as of after the exodus, God has decided I am very much stuck with these people. <laughs> so- right. <laughs> so God gives him the instructions for a tailgate. Uh, and, and literally, it's it's a traveling um, a c- communal gathering space that smokes meat. It is what you do before you go to a sporting event. You everyone brings meat and you smoke it. Hey, guess what? You're going to church every Saturday or Sunday or whichever day you you worship at your favorite football stadium. Uh, so the tabernacle is a mobile home for God among a traveling people, and it is going to be described in detail, socket by socket and loop by loop. Um, We talked in the creation episode about how there's these different authors coming in and out of the text as you read. There's like, you know, the wacky uncle God author where God is kind of this like friendly Loki. (laughs) Um, And then there's the other authors that are very, very, very different who are rituals and steps and calendars and lineages and diagrams. When you see that stuff, you are very likely reading a priest. Who very often came along hundreds of years later and after everybody had their fun and tried to, like, put it in order. These
1: are the people that are like, this is the history we need to remember.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, These are very much the guys who are like, so there's a story about a global flood and, you know, the, the greatest action story of all time but what was the calendar like? That's what the priests are worried about when they go back and edit the flood story. I mean,
1: I kind of get it because without the calendar, nothing makes sense, even (laughs) though still nothing makes sense within... The terms of time that we've already talked about up to this point. Yeah, the, so it's funny that the calendar is so important.
0: <laughs> the priests do what they can, and when you see, like, you know, again in Genesis, when we go directly from, like, yeah, the, the universe begins, and there's a snake, and and then it kind of goes wrong, and then you see, um, and so and so begat so and so, and so and so begat so and so, and then there's a flood, and everything goes crazy. Okay, let's focus. So and so begat. That's the priests trying via montage to 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 stitch everything into order. So tabernacle stuff. It is priests as can be um we get 13 verses on an extremely fancy acacia and gold box that will store the documents that God is drawing up with Moses, the Ten Commandments, the world's greatest filing cabinet. Yes, it's the Ark of the Covenant. It will become a superpower MacGuffin for like the next 10 books, <laughs> and then it'll later melt a Nazi's face in a uh, in a documentary from a few years ago. Um, it has gold cherubim carved around it. We joked in our first episode about how the, how the word conjures fat, naked babies, cherubim are of 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 course, four-legged, winged creatures like Egyptian sphinxes. Their wings are protecting the ark. Whenever you read a Bible verse about God's wings shielding us, it might be referring to things like these cherubs. Um, The cherubim become super important Jewish political symbols that rival bull calves, like the golden calf, for a time. As we'll discuss many episodes from now, whenever you see a cherubim, you can also think in the back of your mind, ah, this is the side of the Jewish kingdom that likes cherubim and not bulls calves. This Ark, this special box, is considered the footstool of God's throne. Storing agreements beneath the feet of idols was also an ancient Hittite and Egyptian thing, writes John Gray. This area around the box is called the Most Holy Place. Eight verses on a table that goes next to the Ark and holds sacrificial bread. Ten on a seven-lamped, branched lampstand. Uh, And as always, people have spent 2,500 years debating exactly what the first menorah looked like, whether the branches were straight or curved endless hours of debate. Um, And a version, of course, becomes a symbol of Hanukkah. Uh, And God even, at some point, Moses is is being a visual learner, and he's not picturing what God is describing, and God literally draws on the mountain to show Moses the pattern he wants. We get 10 verses on the incense altar, whose smoke will protect the priests from the raw holiness of God. Five verses on the incense itself. 36 verses on the linen curtains and goat hair tents that surround all this stuff. 21 verses on the part of the tabernacle that's under the tent, but not the holy place the carport so to speak this is where the very complicated altar goes again no longer made out of some rocks we found like they did in Genesis but out of exactly manipulated wood and bronze and silver four verses on the bronze basin the priests wash in before going into the holy place twelve verses on how to make the holy anointing oil the priests use God puts Aaron, our buddy from the Golden Cat (laughs) episode. he comes again. again. (laughs) He's still a very important Levite. The Levites are in charge, and uh, Aaron's in charge of the tabernacle. Technically, his sons are going to be a couple of the first people to actually fire the thing up and use it. That'll happen in Leviticus. I'm sure it'll go really, really well. It usually does. Now, if you want to see grace and mercy in this story, well, God saw that Aaron tried to do the right thing amid a furious mob, and God did not lose faith in Aaron, right? All right. There are now 43 verses on what high priest Aaron and them should wear. Tons of very specific jewels representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, this high priest lineage will last until 70 AD, roughly a millennium, if you take the entire story as definite history canon. The Levites thus go from bringing the unruly warriors envisioned by Jacob to the golden calf, uh, the Avengers, to a very important religious tribe. 43 more verses on how Aaron is supposed to do very specific bloody sacrifices just to cleanse himself enough to do other bloody sacrifices. Smoke and fire and meat smells, and God is gonna love this. And hey, here's, here's a throwback. Everything is you know more ornate and elaborate than before, but still, just like with Abraham, smoke and meat and blood. 11 verses on God giving two guys Bezalel and Aholiab. Or something like that. He gives them uh, like tech boosts, unlocking lumberjackery and metalworking and smithing, so that they can be the foreman of this project. And, and it's somewhere around here, it, it seems like God's having fun, right? Like, like God, you know, we, we're past the golden calf thing. This, this this whole the whole blueprint is kind of repeated. Like, it's it's handed out once before the golden calf thing, and then God's kind of like, all right, all right let me take it from the top, right? And it's somewhere in there once the people are starting to get it, starting to pick up on exactly how God wants this thing to work, it's almost like God's having fun creating with his kids. Uh, More verses. Six on how to do a census and collect taxes for the funding of this whole structure. So, the priestly authors really wanted to write some endless repetitive blueprints, and that's a weird way to tell a story. But uh, Robert Alter has a story explanation. Maybe the editors who pasted in this whole diagram wanted the reader to feel like God is still in control, even still here in the desert. We're low on water, the mountain is scary, the (laughs) Levites just killed some guys, but there's a plan. How dangerous could things be if we are in the middle of an instruction manual? So uh, if you don't wanna read all that, the better way to do it is, hey, we we found a YouTube video.
1: This is a good part.
0: <laughs> so we're going to talk to the guy who made it. We are now delighted to be joined by a special guest, Reverend Chris Lee of Saint John's with Saint Mary's Church in Mansfield. Mansfield, I can't, I can't speak. Uh, yeah, Mansfield. Queen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, of the of the Church of England, uh, he creates a lot of very cool stuff for the internet, cool churchy pastor stuff with his wife Ruth. Um, on Facebook, YouTube, the primary avenues, right, where people can find you online.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, Rev D Chris Lee is the handle. Um, yeah. Because someone
2: that- had already taken uh, Rev Chris Lee, so I had to go Revd Chris Lee. And <laughs> that, that was all that was left. Well, that, that
0: was, it was funny because, like, all right, so I we're going to talk about a thing that, like, the way, that, you know, the, the thing that led us to you was a thing on YouTube. where I found the handle, and I'm like, wait, there's there's two very online Chris Lees of, you know, the Anglican church, and, like, you guys yeah. have like split up the Internet. He's Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> and Facebook and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, we're going to talk to you today for like a few reasons that I think sort of tie into the tabernacle story. But first, can we ask you for sort of, you know, what has led you to this point in your faith, in your in your life, and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, so um, I was uh, born uh, in a Christian family. Uh, so my dad's a vicar as well. Um, are, are people going to know what a vicar is when I talk about being a vicar? They do now. Right. <laughs> I'm um, very, so... very
0: Protestant, uh, largely
2: Protestant, somewhat Catholic, some other stuff that they, they've picked up on it by now, I think. <laughs> sweet um so yeah uh, my dad was a vicar as well um so I grew up uh, in, in a Christian home grew up knowing all the stories of the bible um like I's, I've still got a copy of my uh kind of big like bible story book with all the pictures in um you know that that's what I grew up with uh, so I've always kind of had that uh kind of close relationship with the story of the bible and with uh with the story of God and uh, God and us and how that relates um and I think like early on in life I almost thought it was like a game of knowledge Uh, like how much how much do you know can you would you score 100 percent in a bible trivia quiz um and I was like yeah I would nail that I'd be uh, I'd be great at that so I thought that was what made me a good Christian uh kind of early on in life but when I was kind of around 10 or 11 that was when we started going to some of the kind of bigger Christian festivals because you know we lived in quite a small town uh so there weren't that many kids my age there and we started going to some bigger Christian festivals uh, and I heard teaching about how it was important to have a relationship with God, uh, and so it was around ten or eleven uh, that I realised it wasn't about uh, know just knowing stuff about God. It was about knowing God personally, um, and so that that was the start of my uh, transforming my experience of uh, of being a Christian and, and knowing God. But that that kind of uh, that process took some time I think, through my teenage years and um, I think mean, teenage years are difficult for everyone uh, but kind of coming into like when I got to around eighteen, I think I really started to uh, settle uh, there are a few experiences in my life uh, one of those being my first experience of being able to lead in children's work i don't know there's always been something for me about when you try to teach something to someone else that's when it really becomes clear for you uh, and so that was a time of uh, my faith really just becoming something uh solid and uh, dependable and um like a, a really big part of my life i always said i wasn't gonna do what my dad does so because um, it's always the question you get asked as a vicar's kid it's like oh you're gonna follow in your dad's footsteps you're gonna be a vicar as well i was like no um and i went through so many different career options of what i wanted <laughs> to be like a fireman and a, um, an architect and all kinds of things but god has an amazing sense of humor i started off training as a teacher uh, because I was really enjoying that experience of, uh, of teaching people I uh, became a primary school teacher for a couple of years. But uh, kind of during that time, I thought I just felt like there was something that wasn't quite what i wanted to do what god wanted for my life and so i felt like uh, and i think the main thing for me there was that i wanted to talk about what really mattered and you can't talk about uh, some of the things that really matter to you when you're a primary school teacher you have to focus on reaching the targets in in maths and english uh, and stuff Uh, and there's a verse in ecclesiastes that says uh, i tried adding one thing to another and it was meaningless um, and I think that's that's, <laughs> that's I feel about math. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's where I got to. Like I, I liked math uh, and I was good at it, but I, I just felt like there was more to what I wanted to teach children about than that. Uh, so I transferred from being a primary school teacher to being a children's worker for a church. Um, uh, and so that's kind of been that that kind of brought me into working for the church. And again, it was one of those things where everyone says to children's workers, "When are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get?" All ordained uh become a vicar um and i was like no children's working is a great job i'm gonna be this until i'm 85 and i'm still gonna be telling children about jesus uh, again god had a little sense of humor and eventually after a few years of being a children's worker called me into this path uh, towards becoming a vicar um and so i've now been a vicar for just coming up to a year now congratulations yeah <laughs> thanks the, the so you're 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 coming up you know working with kids and stuff
0: it still shines through because a lot of the stuff you yeah. make is like it's still very kid focused right like yeah. like it, it's like a youth pastor who is a pastor and <laughs> yeah
2: yeah and we we're part of a church which has got a, a heart for being a church for young people and um, so we're you know we we do really want to do that uh, and in uh, in the UK I don't know what it's like in America but in the UK um we've seen uh, a decline in church attendance um uh, and that decline is doubled in people under the age of 18 and so we're actually in a pretty dire place for uh children's work and for work with young people uh, in the churches in the UK. and uh, So ju- we just wanted to really commit to being a church that is going all out to bring the hope and and life that Jesus offers to children and young people.
0: So you did something pretty cool along those lines that uh, is, is yeah. relates to the subject of this episode. And it was actually how um, how I found you. I was looking on, you know, reading the, reading the tabernacle story and thinking like, oh man, so many details, so much to picture. And lots of people have depicted it in paintings. Yeah. And you know, people have built it. People. Have,
1: we thought about buying a kit. We could buy it. a kit.
0: There's Lego <laughs> yeah. versions, yeah. but I'm like, what is the yeah. online possible version? I wonder if anybody has done it in Minecraft. And I go and I search YouTube, and there's a bunch of versions. I was like, what? <laughs> 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 Lots of people. That spot. Um, and then there's one that is a 24 minute tutorial. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the one. Um, and from scratch, and actually, I also clicked on it because it says Reverend right in your user. It was like ah authoritative, <laughs> but I click on it and it's this whole you know like not just a step by step from scratch uh tabernacle lovingly recreated according to what the Bible says and like citing research and tying in little sermons here and there. It's it's like from literally you know dirt all the way through complete tabernacle and
1: details. And yes. if you couldn't do the details, you explained why you couldn't and what should be there.
0: Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> it, it's even facing the right way. You see the sun going the correct way like. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the middle of nowhere, which is where it should be. So yeah, like what, what inspired that? What kind of research goes into that? And you know, all, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, inspiration-wise, um, my Minecraft uh, username is uh, Captain Bezalel. Uh, uh, Bezalel being one of the people who God inspires oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as one of the ones who who creates things for the tabernacle. Um, and so I think Minecraft for me has always been um, a reflection of that creative creativity of God that um, he he is a creative God and he made us in his image. And I think part of being that image is being creative people. Um, so I've always found Minecraft to be a place that uh, is... You can you can have fun in it, uh, but you can have fun in a way that completely is part of your worship of God uh, of creating things. Um, and so I think it was quite natural for me to go for that. Uh, it also tied in well with what we were doing at that time in our children's work series. Um, so it, you know I, that's that's why I ended up making the tabernacle. Um, it was interesting trying to research it because um, and it, when it's talking about all the lengths of cloth, it doesn't exactly describe how you kind of lay them out so that they create a complete tent it it, go, it does quite well at describing it but you're kind of left with this thing where you're kind of like so how does that exactly fit together uh, and so I actually got bits of cloth and was like trying to work out how <laughs> bits of cloth of that measurement would fit over to create something that would be kind of watertight and stuff so I, I did a bit of research but I also did a try kind of trying to build it myself and to see you know what's what's the logical way of this working how, how must this have worked uh, and it was really good fun yeah uh, i just wanted to share it with people
0: uh, yeah we, we loved all the little my favorite detail this, there's a lot of really cool ones um the uh once the whole thing is complete the holy of holies have, you've you've made these banners and explain so like the banners <laughs> you have like this this uh pile of shapes that you're putting and you're actually doing it within the game using a loom to put angel designs on the banners so, like how long yeah. did it take to figure out the right set because there's not an angel shape in minecraft you had to make no. that like, uh, I was there.
2: That was yeah, really
1: just, impressive to me.
2: <laughs> I just googled it. Um, so, okay. uh, <laughs> it's, so, someone had, uh, someone had. Uh, I thought someone's going to have worked out how to make something that looks like a winged being uh, in Minecraft um, uh, on on banners. So, uh, okay. and luckily someone had, and there was a step by step thing. So <laughs> not my own work. I probably should have credited that when I uh, <laughs> when I made the video. But
0: um, so what, yeah. what you did was exactly what the Israelites did. You were tying together the work of the community into
2: one greater thing <laughs> yeah that's it uh, exactly skills that we learned in egypt we t- put together into the uh <laughs> into building a place for God. And I think uh, my other thing about Minecraft is, for me, Minecraft almost seems like it's ideally designed to bring things in the Bible to life. You know, it's kind of almost as if it's trying to be set in a time period of kind of swords and bows and arrows and things, but it's also got that capability to create moving parts uh, when you kind of get into all the, the redstone stuff. I don't know how much you know about Minecraft, but like the fact that, that the end go- the god Goal, as it were, of the game <laughs> is to get to the end, uh, the end scene where you fight a dragon. Yes. I'm just like, <laughs> this is this is like the same as the bible um, <laughs> you know we, we have that scene really as weird and really dark
0: toward the end but it's okay
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly like a dragon <laughs> <laughs> um so it just it's always felt to me like it's been a really natural place to explore the bible uh, and i think if i had more time um i would kind of create a whole bible world so the the tabernacle is is on on, on something that i'm sp- very slowly creating as a as an explorable bible world so we've just recently uh, been doing about stories from the exile uh, with our kids church uh, and with our adults church because it it really feels like it relates to us in in lockdown but we were looking at things like Ezekiel's vision that he sees on the banks of the river which is just a crazy vision Um, but it's so visual Uh, Mm -hmm. and um, I just wanted to give people a chance to see like what could that have looked like Uh, and so I had a go at building that Uh, so that the next uh, Minecraft YouTube video that'll be coming out from me will tutorial on how to build ezekiel's vision <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> one of
0: the craziest things in the whole bible let's do it Yeah, <laughs> you can do it like so, so like because like story-wise and like there's some archaeological reason to think and like it just makes sense like solomon's temple ultimately like constructed like as a bigger tabernacle around the tabernacle like you could explain sure. <laughs> yeah yeah oh our daughter she's a huge minecraft kid Um, And like, I tried to play along and like, but her and all her cousins, they play it constantly. She watches the tutorials and everything she watched. She approved. uh, She thought it was cool. Uh, The one there. So as you go, there's a rabbit just hopping around (laughs) the the entire time. Um, She wanted the rabbit to have a name. That was her only, only edit (laughs) note for you. (laughs) And I, I think I have a suggestion, um, the Tabernacle Rabbit. We just call it the Rabernacle. I love it. I'll, I'll get in
2: there and do it as soon as I can. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That was another thing you did. As you, the pieces you use, it's not just acacia wood. You change it to exactly what the Bible calls it, right? <laughs> you yeah, went yeah. to the trouble of changing the name of this thing we see for a half second to exactly what the Bible calls it. <laughs> like, so <laughs> that—that's a question. Like when you're doing something in a video game, but it's also a depiction of like the holiest place. Like how much reverence do you feel playing Minecraft in that moment?
2: That's a really interesting question. I—I I think I—I I didn't feel a sense of reverence beyond that same sense of, you know, I'm being creative in a way that I was made to be. Um, I think, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's not, I've not created a, a true kind of Holy of Holies. Um, all I've created is, is something to help, uh, help visualize, uh, what it would be. Um, so yeah, I don't think I really thought of it in those terms, uh, beyond what I already feel about Minecraft anyway. Gotcha
0: okay that's that's probably for the best I was just watching it yeah, like, yeah, if I was doing this I would feel like you know oh man I can't mess this up you know because <laughs> <laughs> we see in Leviticus what happens to guys who mess up right they get blown up yeah. right
1: <laughs> but I think it made a difference too because it was obvious that you're very knowledgeable about the tabernacle because going through it it's not like you're like oh let me go see about this or let me check on this and make sure I get this right like if he or I were doing that well I can't do Minecraft I can't yeah. do three games I'm terrible, but um,
0: I think I could handle the, like, all right, I figured out what, it, and, and Evie could build it. Yeah. I'm not touching it, but. <laughs>
1: but it would be a lot of back and forth and making sure we got things right, where you were so confident in it, which was pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's the magic of video editing for you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I make it look like it's kind of almost in real time, because you've got my face uh, reacting to it in real time, but I record, I recorded the whole thing uh, in Minecraft, and then commented over my own recording once I've got it right. So. Uh, I, I knew that it was all gonna go right when yeah. I started commentating over
0: it. <laughs> the, um, so like the tabernacle was kind of the perfect surface because like, you know, in the Bible stuff gets built all the time. It's one of yeah. the first things, things that happens is a thing gets yeah. built, but like, none of it is as detailed as this. Like the detail is sure. just off the chart, tr- like the Ark, Noah's Ark, it's explained in like two verses. I, I, I'd have to look it up it's like a few sentences to build the like world saving arc whereas this is chapter after chapter after chapter and they're all repeated <laughs> like yes. half the book of exodus <laughs> how to build this thing right so like the details are perfect for this game but also i think it ties into a thing you talk about about like you know it's about the work and it's about the caring and it's about the process and it's about the community coming together to build the thing right like yeah i think that's what all the instructions bring out is like it's about the making
2: yeah I think so and I think that's um, I don't know if this is a, a good point to transition into talking about uh, what we get from that in our uh, in our worship today and uh, in the Church of England in particular um, I think we're thinking about a, a culture and a time where there is a lot less literacy um, than we have today um, and actually through most of history uh, most of history has been less literate than we are today um, and so we've uh, we have all these amazing things that help us to connect with God's story uh, as people. Um, so, you know, as you you can imagine, as you approach the tabernacle, uh, to see uh, the whatever images are woven into this cloth, uh, the people's handiwork that's gone into it, uh, it's all speaking a story, uh, and it's a visual and tactile reminder of who God is uh, and what he's done for us. And I think, you, I mean, we see how easily the Israelites forget things so to be able to have this concrete uh, reminder that has got all this detail and beauty to it I think it's it's there to help them remember the story uh, to help them have something to connect it all to and I that's how I see our older churches uh, in the UK the church that I was doing, that I was an apprentice vicar in before I became a, a vicar is a church that was begun that began being built 900 years ago and it's it's incredible. It's massive. It's uh, solid stone and massive stained glass windows and, and all of these kind of things. Uh, and each each detail of the bits that were built on it, it is trying to help point people to a story, uh, the story of Jesus. And particularly stained glass windows are an obvious example of how that works, uh, that you've got the, the picture stories uh, of the Bible uh, displayed for people to see. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's part of... Of, of why why there's detail there why why you want something beautiful that you can see and touch uh, because it just helps to connect to that story
0: yeah for sure yeah and I think this also ties into so when um, found on YouTube saw Reverend and thought like yeah I hope Anglican because there's a yeah. thing I'm going to talk about and then ah perfect <laughs> what are the odds um because in the Anglican church, you know, I, I don't profess to be any sort of an expert or whatever, but there's this idea, high church and low church, that has sort of spread beyond just the Anglicans, like my fellow Protestants debate this among themselves, as if you know the idea is just sort of spread, and it, it, we've we've sort of started calling it like high church is you know like it's it's sort of Catholic. Low church is just sort of like you're in the, you're in the you know in the wilderness in nature or whatever you know, and it can yeah. be a whole spectrum in between there. So like like an old building, right? Like that's that's beautiful. It's ancient. It's you know that's it's an example of high church. And the tabernacle that is high high church, right? at least in the desert that's as high as it gets but they're also in the desert and that's low church right so like I don't know. It just sort of felt like things just are one on top of each other, you know, like, yeah,
2: I think I get where you're coming from. And, um, I think it's fascinating thing about, uh, you know, the church of England as a whole is that, um, we, we attempt to be a church which holds both extremes. We go from cathedrals and 900 year old churches to, uh, warehouses and schools and community centers, uh, and the wilderness. Uh, my wife would love the fact that you mentioned the wilderness as being, uh, <laughs> an expression of church because uh, she's she's really into the outdoors and uh, and and connecting with God in nature. Um, but yeah, I think the the fact that we have that variety in there, I think probably says something about the fact that. God isn't just in one or the other. We can experience God a- across the whole kind of range of things. Um, and to give you an example, in this 900-year-old church, we used to run a toddlers' group because uh, we don't we didn't have a church hall uh, connected to the church. So we just used this massive old stone building, put out some carpets and some toys, and invited in parents and toddlers. And quite often you see the toddlers, they, they'll walk in through the door and they just stop and they look up and they just can't move for a second because they're just a bit taken aback by the surroundings. Like it's it's a complete sense of awe. Uh, and it's a sense of awe that, you know, there, there aren't many places in their lives that they can go into, uh, which are designed to create in them that sense of awe and wonder. And so I think, it's, it's a, it can be a really valuable way of helping people to stop from their daily grind and allow their eyes to lift and uh, to look up and to think about bigger things.
0: I like, I, like hearing, I like this and I like hearing about this and the explanations for it and all that stuff. Um, and like I am sort of, you know, raised Protestant in a very like, this is the building, you go in it, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like there's nothing old or special that was made 20 years ago. We're te- we tear yeah. it down and make a new one in five years. Make a bigger one, <laughs> definitely yeah. a bigger one. Yeah, with like,
1: escalator. That's
0: how I was raised. Is like no, you know, yeah. Pope can't tell me what to do. There's no fifteen hundred year old anything our guys made it up six years ago they they were the true church you know like it's all you know brand new we discovered what jesus meant and we did it last month but like i'm also seeing you know how like you look at an eastern orthodox church that is like you know they're you know massive ceilings and paintings and chants and candles and it's you know we're we're, talking about mystical wisdom from thousands of years ago and it's like this is very awesome too like I can go out in the woods and look at the sky and say that's God but the you know looking at a you know a massive sculpture that people poured their hearts into you know like okay God is there too you know so like yeah. For me, it's very cool to look at, you know, this portion of Exodus and see God saying like, all right, Moses, if you just want to put up piles of rocks, that's fine. Israelites, I need you to do these billion steps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> fine too, because I like all of this. And then like later, like, you know, in, in 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 Hosea, God says, right, like, it's not about that stuff. It's about whatever makes you act like me. You know, it's the sacrifices. They are there to remind you that you are mine. You know, that like, the, it's about mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus later, later quotes it right that like yeah. all of this stuff whether it's low church high church whatever the point is what connects you to god is, is am i on anything at all here
2: yeah i mean that's that's so reflects what i've been thinking about as well the verse that came to mind as i was thinking about this was uh, jesus saying uh the sabbath was created for man not man for the sabbath like all of these details they weren't created to be like a chain around us um they were supposed to help us connect with god and i think it's part of our responsibility particularly in a in a traditional church like the church of England it's part of our responsibility to be constantly looking and saying has that has this become something that's holding us back or is it still genuinely helping people to connect to God so take for example uh, the book of common prayer which written in 1662, it's beautiful language uh, and I guess on a level I can appreciate that and, and the beauty of the language uh, and for a long time in England it was it was good to use it because it was familiar to people it was what people have been brought up with. Uh, So it helped people to access church because it had that familiar language that they'd been brought up on. But we're now in a generation where people haven't been brought up in church and so it's become a barrier. It's made it harder to access church uh, and so I think we're probably looking at a time when we need to say actually we know it's beautiful and we might still love it but we want to put it aside because it's stopping people from accessing God better and look, the church that I'm in now we you know it's a so it's a Victorian church coming up for 200 years old I think and we're getting to that point where we're trying to decide is this a burden on us because it's got a spire that's falling down and uh, we're like well we could spend a lot of money to to fix this spire but wouldn't that money be better spent elsewhere wouldn't it wouldn't it be? Bring more glory to God if we spent it elsewhere in ways that will help people connect to God or ways that will just help people, full stop.
1: I think that's refreshing to hear actually, because I feel like so many times in the church it's about holding up what you've always known for so many mm-hmm. people rather than adapting to the changes that are all around us all the time and bringing in that new generation of people who are going to know and love God. Yeah. So it's refreshing to hear that from someone like you, especially.
2: So yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people uh, in the Church of England would probably consider me low church, but uh, you know, I've inherited here a, a group of people who uh, who see themselves as the church, and uh, it's not about the church building, uh, and to be honest, I think if we ended up having to sell off this building uh, and move into a building that's more in the town centre, uh, a place where we can really connect with people better, then sure, there'd be some people who'd be really sad about it, uh, but I think, you know, on the whole, people would be like, that's a cake because it's the mission of God that's important. It's, it's not about keeping these traditions alive for no reason. We want it to be something that's meaningful. Um, and I think for me, that's how it relates back to the tabernacle. But I think that as long as the tabernacle is meaningful for God's people, it's a positive thing for them to have. But as soon as it becomes something that's become a meaningless ritual and starts distracting them or uh, or making God less accessible to them, then it's not as useful anymore. Which literally happens within the Bible itself.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, there's you know, there's so many stories in the Bible where there's a tension between religion and God, right? yeah well, all the way through <clears throat> yeah yeah kind of one of the points of jesus's whole thing <laughs> yeah well i think that is probably i mean that was that was awesome that was very cool um
2: no uh it's great and um, thank and um, thank you guys for inviting me on it's
1: been a
0: no,
2: thanks for
1: coming cool thanks
0: Chris. Thank you to Reverend Chris. Hey, the tabernacle's fun, see?
1: It's good for kids too. See?
0: I knew we could do it. So, uh, a big question that I had while reading this is like, why does God go from being guy who says low church piles of rocks in the middle of nowhere are cool to being guy who says complex ritual is cool? And, you know, we heard a pretty good explanation there that like, hey, it's all cool. Um, superstar Jewish scholar Maimonides, medieval guy, argued this was God beating the Israelites halfway. Physical objects help you worship, you folks who've spent 400 years around Egyptian shrines. Uh, working hard on gold and linen helps you think highly of your worship space. Great. We'll try it your way. God uh, God only cares about this stuff so much. It's, it's for us.
1: I feel like it's like a, a starting point because when you have all of these formal things and then you branch off to these low church things, you at least know why, where it came from or why you do it a certain way so so that you have a little bit more understanding of it all together.
0: Yeah, it's about making uh, making the story stick right? and taking the story with you wherever you are.
1: And by having all of these specific things... You'll keep some of that, even if you don't remember all of it, you'll keep some of that and remember that and that gets carried on. So with, without those formalities, a lot of things would be very different, probably.
0: Yeah. The um, the behind the story stuff about the design of the tabernacle, um, scholars have written about how the tabernacle's design, if you picture it, because lots of people have uh, uh, recreated it. Uh, and not just in minecraft it, it looks like a mishmash of local influences like pharaoh Ramses's actual war tent it looks very egyptian so god is using things the israelites know to build himself an earthly abode which is what the word for tabernacle means uh in the storyline god is saying if this will help us get along the way i want to get along fine uh and outside the storyline the very egyptian design for the tabernacle is another sign perhaps Moses is bringing a single God version of Egypt's religion or a Midianite religion to the Canaanite pantheon, merging, creating our idea of God. Also, the tabernacle story is very likely written well after the time of Moses. Um, And at some point, somebody had to provide an origin story for Solomon's temple. How did this religion go from little rock shrines in the middle of nowhere to Solomon's temple? The tabernacle myth is the bridge. God told them to make a structure like this, and at first it was mobile. Now it's not. They walked the tabernacle into Canaan and built a temple around it. Did that really, really happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, But how else do you write a story that connects a temple built in maybe the 900s to a religion allegedly handed down hundreds of miles away hundreds of years earlier? Um, Our good friend Richard Freeman He wrote, Leviticus, Chronicles, Lamentations, Psalms, Kings, the Talmud, and the historian Josephus all offer evidence that the tabernacle was understood to be inside Solomon's temple the entire time. Um... Thinking of this as a retroactive myth also helps explain why God's telling them to build something in the middle of nowhere that would be extremely hard to build in the middle of nowhere.
1: Where did all the materials come from? <laughs> the They had an abundance.
0: <laughs> the trees. The trees you could probably find. It would take a long time, um, depending on exactly where you are. But a lot of the other stuff, like they, they need expensive purple Phoenician dyes. And these days, you could go to, I don't know, Hobby Lobby or Michael's or whatever. Or
1: Walmart even.
0: But the, uh, they would have had to rely on, let's say, purple Phoenician dyes which Phoenicia is pretty far away they're probably not just wandering around the middle of Sinai
1: I mean they very well could have I mean I know that when they left Egypt they still had a lot of these riches so some of the things could have come from that yeah maybe there's
0: a wandering merchant who just isn't mentioned um there's it they would have needed to just acquire a lot of random stuff in order to be prepared to make this thing. There's an expensive clear olive oil that would have been rare in Egypt, let alone Sinai. Uh you can find a few translations that say God wanted them to use dolphin skins oh, for part mm-hmm. of the tabernacle. <laughs> so it's sad. it's 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 not a majority translation, but Uh, Either way, there is no verse that says, And along with manna, the Lord provided Phoenicians, olive oil, and dolphins, so they could follow the blueprints. Uh, The tabernacles were playing, speaking of Minecraft, creative mode, not survival mode. They're creating a picture of what a space that worships this god would look like, whether they were definitely able to do it out there or not. Uh, They're explaining the thing that preceded the big building in Jerusalem, giving their whole physical presence an awesome origin story. Also, In addition to the Tabernacle's Egyptian influences, Frank Moore Cross argues all of this has a pretty clear ancient Canaanite influences. Canaan's all-father god El, who was part of the pantheon that contributed to the idea of Yahweh, also lived in a tent. So it's possible we're just still adapting all the super old stuff. Obviously, this is a huge moment in the Jewish religion, regardless of where and when and what exactly happened. To this day, many newly constructed synagogues still reflect the tabernacle schematics. The tabernacle is a machine. Machines are made of parts, powered by fuel, designed to accomplish a task. God laid out the parts, explained the fuel, and explained the task. If you follow these steps, I will give you a fire show that will prove I'm with you. Would God still be with them even if they didn't do that stuff? Well, probably based on Genesis and definitely based on the fact no one has sacrificed according to the Torah in almost 2000 years and yet God is with us anyway. God told Cain hundreds of years earlier in the story that being a good person, rather than sacrifice is the main thing. Leviticus has all sorts of provisions that allow poor people to sacrifice very little, which shows it's less about what you sacrifice, more about the fact you're choosing to commune with God. We mentioned Hosea, Jesus. The Bible has both endless rules about how to do church and reminders that church is just church.
1: Nothing for everyone in that way.
0: Finally, they get to work actually setting up the tabernacle. Yeah, all that was just them like gathering supplies. The first people to line up appear to be the women and then the men join beside them. If you read a verse a certain way, which I choose to do. The construction takes several chapters, <laughs> and the boring repetition of God's blueprint has a story purpose. They are listening meticulously. No golden calf repeat yet. Exodus thirty-nine, thirty-two. the work of the tabernacle is completed, and the Israelites did as God told Moses. God saw that it's good. It is finished for now. God now has a throne, the Shekinah. Did you ever hear this word?
1: I think only from you. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's an ancient rabbinical word for the settled presence of God, God in a physical place. I grew up uh, evangelicals treating this as a, a, a very like impressive learned word. Like look, look at this word I know. I'm not sure how aware they are that the Shekinah has feminine connotations, especially in the Kabbalah. (laughs) The Kabbalah goes all in on God, transcending and including genders. And the the Shekinah, the part of God that is most connected to us on earth is, you you could describe it as like the most feminine part of God. Speaking of, God is described many times later in the Bible, like a mother, a womb, a mother bird. There are references in the Bible to the goddess, I've seen the name pronounced many ways, Asherah, Ashira, who was a female counterpart to some of the ancient Canaanite and Sumerian gods who contributed to the Bible's idea of God. Somewhere deep within the idea of what became God, there was a goddess. It's also noteworthy that the Israelite women were helping at least as much as the men in setting up the tabernacle, that the women were in charge of the fabrics, that Moses's sister Miriam just earned the prophet title a few chapters ago, and there's what Carol Myers describes as some verses here and elsewhere that describe women as having some sort of tabernacle maintenance role. Exodus was edited by dudes and mostly interpreted by dudes and is mostly about a dude and his idea of a dude God. But Exodus starts with a rebellious mother and sister and arguably ends with the divine feminine residing in a tent built as much by women as by men. So what is the point of mentioning lady stuff here? Because God being kind of a lady and the church being made and maintained in part by ladies shows this story as saying, if we let it, that church is for everybody, regardless of how long and oily the beards are on the guys who wrote the story. So I I also want to try and do this. The, The pronoun he is the familiar pronoun for God. It's the one used in the Bible. I want to try and get away from it and go with they, for God. Probably won't always happen, especially for quoting, but I think it makes so much more sense. Oh, but that's not very monotheistic. We'll go cry about it, okay? Um, <laughs> neither am I, okay? <laughs> yes, I'd say you are. <laughs> God is too big to be contained by monotheism. Take that, all right?
1: Bigger than that.
0: God is here. At the tent of meeting because she likes Moses, the human who bickers with her like a spouse about their children. Jack Miles, my favorite sentence of his, the volcano has come to live in the tent because the tent was built by the volcano's friend. Exodus ends still at Mount Sinai, 40 chapters revolving around fire and smoke and a mountain. Egyptian boy Moses found an ancient God here blurting from a tiny fire. God liberated the Israelites with blood and fire and smoke. The Israelites found God at this mountain, leveled up into a massive smoking fire. God gave the Israelites rules at Sinai, all revolving around how to create empowering smoke. Now God's people are leaving the mountain, following God's pillar of smoke, and the plan is this replenish the fire every day, and the smoke will lead you home. That's it. That's Exodus. They said it couldn't be. Home. We did it.
1: <laughs> 400 years later, <laughs> we did it.
0: So uh, Exodus, if we were to give it a star rating, do you, as someone who hasn't actually read the whole thing, what would you go <laughs> with?
1: <laughs> Four and a half stars.
0: Yeah? Yeah. You're that confident in the tabernacle stuff? That-
1: well, it's not going to like take away from the other stuff that's in there. Yeah. Necessarily.
0: It's difficult. Um, if it was just the first half, I would probably go five. Um, but it really gets dragged down.
1: <laughs> There's just so much. The majority of the Bible stories that you hear as a kid, come from Genesis and Exodus mm-hmm. so aside from anything that happens with Jesus this is what we know
0: it's it's a large large portion of it um, I'm gonna go with four stars there's so much to love but so much so much to breeze through um, and it, it Genesis is awesome next up the Levites give us a big rule book on how to live as God's people in God's land Leviticus
1: dun dun dun
0: appropriate that stuff I just said about church being for everybody. Leviticus says otherwise, don't. that spo- does not Spoiler alert. I mean, it can try to. It can try to all at once, but we can say otherwise. Leviticus is the most feared, most difficult, least enjoyed, most confusing, most barbaric, most outdated book in the whole Bible, and I love almost all of it one way or the other. We're going to de-weaponize what we can, contextualize what we can, and find way more peace, joy, compassion, mercy, and flagrant progressive social justice Yeah, in Leviticus than I ever would have expected. Can't wait. It's not all like that, but <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of stuff that some of our angriest pastors would be pretty surprised to realize is in Leviticus. Uh, And that's it. We will see you next time on the Vacation Bible School podcast.